Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. Today we are continuing our Advent series looking at the Day of the Lord. The passage today is Isaiah chapter 2 verses 6 to 22 and that is looking at how Christmas reveals who we really trust in. And you might like to have a read of the passage before listening to the sermon. Just to remind you once again, there is more content available on the YouTube channel. We are still working through the Firm Foundations course, and this week the session was about the justice of God, how God is infinitely just, and how God can be just when there is so much injustice in the world. So if that interests you, do have a look at YouTube. I'm afraid it's only available on YouTube and not on the podcast. If you'd like to support Understand the Bible, there are various options for that as well. I'd love you to pray, and it's possible to give as well, and you can find all the details about that in the page which is linked in the description below. Thanks so much everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoy the sermon and find it beneficial. I'll see you again soon. So we are thinking about the Day of the Lord for our Advent series and the reason I chose that was thinking about you know Christmas thinking that you know Christmas is the one time of the year when people actually want to to come into church and I think well why is it that people want to come to church what is it about Christmas which which people want to come to and the day of the Lord uh, the Bible has quite a lot to say about the day of the Lord and the day of the Lord is if you like, the day when God comes to town, if you like to put it that way. It's the day when God comes. And of course, that happened at, at Christmas time. Um, but also we remember that the second coming of Christ. And so it's, it's kind of looking, looking to both of those things. Of course, the first coming has already happened, but we, we await uh, the return of the Lord Jesus as our judge. So what will the day of the Lord be like? And that's what we've been working through, um, we're working through this Advent, we're thinking about what the day of the Lord will be like. Last week we were looking at Amos, this, uh, this week we are looking at this passage from Isaiah chapter 2, and thinking about what the day of the Lord will be like, what should we then do, how should we then live in the light of what the day of the Lord will be, will be like. So let's have a look at this passage then, uh, as we think about the day of the Lord. This is um, Isaiah chapter 2 from verse 6 uh, to the end of the chapter. And these first few verses, verses 6 to 9, is talking about the, uh, the idolatry of the people. So it says uh, there in verse 6, You, Lord, have abandoned your people, the descendants of Jacob. So everything that follows is talking about how God um, has abandoned his people. Now, I'm not sure whether this means that because God abandoned his people, this happened, or this happened, therefore God abandoned his, his people, as it were. But I think basically the idea is that they're a very godless um, society. That is what, what has, that's the net effect, whether it's the cause or effect, it, it doesn't really matter. So what do they actually look like? It says they are full of superstitions from the East. They practice divination like the Philistines and embrace pagan customs. So what Isaiah says is that they are basically just the same as all of the other nations. That's the people's problem. They don't look, there's no distinguishing them from any of the other secular, or, well, not secular in those days, but you know, sort of um, nations who had other gods. 
they don't look any different. That's the problem there. And um, it says then, verse 7, their land is full of silver and gold. It says full of twice. Their land is full of horses, silver and gold and horses. And there's no end to their treasures and no end to the chariots. So they're, they're full of uh, treasures and money and you know, sort of wealth. And they're full of um, chariots and, you know, horses and, and, and things. So the army. But what are those things really? This is what it says in verse 8. Their land is full of, again, full of idols. That's what the treasure, the, the wealth, the horses and chariots actually are. I think that's the implication. And I think it, it just goes to show once again, just another example of how God's concerns of what's right and wrong are different to our concerns. You know, Because when we look at what's right and wrong, we think about you know, murder, theft, and, you know, adultery, and, and those, those sort of, uh, what, what people do to other people. But actually, what God is most concerned about, first and foremost, is turning away from him and turning to, to idols. That's the, the primary thing which God is concerned about. And the other things flow from that. So when we turn away from God, then the other things happen. Then we start behaving wrongly, you know, sinfully towards other people. But the first thing that happens is that we turn away from God. And um, idolatry, you know, again, this is something we often think of idolatry as being, oh, you know, bowing down to a little um, statue. You know, I, th I think a lot of people still have that, that um, mental picture of idolatry. You know, you might have a little statue in your house and you, you bow down to that and pray to it. But in the Bible, idolatry is much bigger than that. You know, idolatry is a, it, it's worshipping a, a God substitute, whether that thing looks like a God or not. Whether it's a, a man-made thing which stands for God, or whether it's actually something like money, or power, or success, or you know, an army, or, or, or anything like that. That can be an idol as well. And I think that's what we are being told, that the people of Israel were doing. They were trusting in their wealth, they were trusting in their army, and not trusting in God. And that is idolatry. Um, and so the consequences then, it says, verse 9, so people will be brought low and everyone humbled. Uh, do not forgive them. So God had determined that the consequences for their idolatry was to be punished. They were to be brought low and, and humbled. And um, that is something that we'll come back to uh, in, uh, in a minute. So what does God, how does God respond to them? And this is what the next few verses are about, verses 10 uh, to 18. So verse, um, verse 10 says, Go into the rocks, hide in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendour of his majesty. Now, this is what Isaiah is saying, you know, to do for the people to do in response to, the, to God drawing near to them. It's saying, actually, you know, hide from the fearful presence of the Lord. You know, it's saying, think about the way that you've treated God and actually, you know, how offensive that is to the Lord. And this is what, all through the Bible, uh, happens when people draw near 
to the presence of God. It's that kind of recognition of our own uh, sinfulness and our own unworthiness. And, you know, the, uh, if you like, that actually we do not deserve anything from God apart from punishment. And this is what happens to Isaiah in, uh, as he sees the Lord just a, a few chapters later. Isaiah chapter, um, chapter 6, he, it, there's the Isaiah's commission. And um, he sees the Lord, um, in, he has a vision of the Lord, in, um, it says high and exalted in the temple. And what does he do when he sees this vision of God? It says there in verse 5, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. That's what people do when they see God. They recognise their own sin and, and sinfulness. And that is, um, that's because when you see the purity of God, we see actually how impure we are. It's like light shining through a window. You know, when it's, it's not very light, the window can look perfectly clean. But when you see a bright light, when you see the sun shining through, you realise it's actually dirty. And it's like that when we draw near uh, to God. And then we can't just ignore God's presence. And this is why he stresses, he talks about the fearful presence of the Lord um, and the splendour of his majesty. You know, and he repeats that as well in verses 19 and 21. It's repeated just to stress that, saying that, you know, you, you need to understand what the presence of God will be like because it is not something that can be ignored. It's something that we want to flee from, you know, not something that we can just ignore. Um, so what will it be like then on the, when, when the Lord draws near? It says, verse 11, the eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, human pride brought low, the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. So it's bringing down human pride and lifting up alone the Lord, you know, bring down of human pride, bringing up uh, the Lord. And this is, uh, it's interesting that in, in, the, in the Bible that pride and idolatry often go together. Why is that? I think it's because, you know, an idol really is there, is, is self-chosen, because an idol doesn't answer back, does it? You know, an idol gives you what you want, or you think it gives you what you want, but it's there to serve you, not, you know, you're not there to serve it. You know, so you have an idol, I mean, of course, in, in those days, they would have had one with farming, you know, to give us rain or to give us a harvest or to, to defend us from our enemies and those sorts of things. Perhaps now idols are more about personal success and wealth and happiness and, and all of those sorts of things. But an idol is there to, to serve you and your own needs and wants rather than you being there to serve it. And that is, that's why it's about human pride because it's about putting ourselves and our own desires and wants first and foremost and saying, you know, I'm not going to, I don't need to submit actually to what someone else, to what God might want me to do. Um, so that's why pride and idolatry go together. So what's going to happen, uh, verses 12 to, uh, to 18, we're not going to go through all of this, uh, only just briefly, but this is how God is going, is promising to expose and to judge all of their pride and all of their idols. You know, everything that they've had pride in, trusted in, whether that be man-made or whether that be natural. 
So, for example, he mentions the cedars of Lebanon. Now, a lot of the buildings, the temple was partially built out of the cedars of Lebanon. Lebanon is famous for its cedars, big, strong trees. You know, um, the towering mountains, you know, the mountains that surrounded Jerusalem that they thought protected them from their other armies. Um, lofty towers and fortified walls, you know, from the, the, the cities that they thought they had a big, strong wall. Uh, trading ships and stately vessels, you know, the, so their, their navy. And, um, and it says, the arrogance of man, man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day, repeats that, and idols will totally disappear. It says it will expose everything that they've trusted in instead of God will be exposed as, a, as an idol, as something which is not worth trusting in, which cannot save ultimately. So how are the people going to, uh, going to respond? This is the last few verses, verses 19 uh, to 22. It says there, verse 19, people will flee to caves in the rocks and to, uh, to holes in the ground. And then again it says, verse 21, they will flee to caverns in the rocks and to the overhanging crags. Now, those of you who were here uh, earlier on this year, you may, um, that may just you know, prod a little something in your memory because that is very similar to what it says in the book of Revelation, which we were looking at um, a few months ago. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 6, verses 15 to 17. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great, the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? So when people see God coming with his splendour and majesty, they'll want to run. That's what it says in Isaiah, that's what it says in Revelation. Not, um, not coming towards him, actually, but seeing God coming in judgment actually is, is something that makes them want to flee. And in that day, it says, uh, verse 20, in that day people will throw away to the moles and bats their idols of uh, silver and idols of gold which they made to worship. They'll realise that all of the idols that they'd known, which they've made, are worthless. So they just throw them away. Throw them away to the, the moles and the bats, it says. You know, they, they realise that they can't actually do anything. They can't save them. They can't save them from the Lord. So then what does, what does Isaiah actually want the people to do listening to this? And this is what he says there, verse 22. Stop trusting in mere humans who have but a breath in their nostrils. Why hold them in his team? So stop trusting in the things of, of this world, people and, you know, natural things which God made which actually can't save us. Don't trust in them. Trust instead in the Lord. That's what Isaiah is saying to the people. Now, what bearing does this have upon us? And what relevance does this have when it comes to, uh, to Christmas? And something which I have um, been struck by again this year, and this is why I wanted to do this series, is just, you know, at Christmas, this is about how the Lord draws near. You know, we're talking about the Son of God coming to earth, coming to Bethlehem and being born among us. 
no, Emmanuel, God with us. And you just think about that, that phrase, God with us. That's the day of the Lord. That is a, that's a huge thing, isn't it? God with us. That's not something, it's okay. That's not something that can be ignored. Think about all of the people who are coming, flocking to the carol services at Christmas. Are they really coming to worship the Son of God? Because it, it seems to me that if you really understand the day of the Lord, then you can't go away not being changed. Actually, the, the presence of God is something that should make sinful people want to depart and flee from it, not, not come towards it. Jesus comes as a saviour. And you see, that's the wonderful good news. And that's something that we celebrate here, isn't it? That actually Jesus saves us from that judgment of God. That's wonderful, and that's why we flock to Jesus. But it's because we want salvation. It's because we know there is something about ourselves which we need saving from. And as, as it says, you know, Jesus came to save us from our sins. That's why his name is Jesus. So as we come up to Christmas, you know, through this Advent, the next few weeks, I think it's just good to remember and to be thinking about, you know, who is it that we are really trusting in? You know, because that's the thing, isn't it? When, when the Son of God draws near to us, then it, it exposes what we are really trusting in. Are we trusting in God and trusting in Jesus? Or are we trusting in an idol or idols? No, you can't have Christmas and remain trusting in idols. Now that's the thing, it has to be one or the other, that God demands our allegiance. Now, I, I just thought it might be um, helpful to, to think, you know, who, what kind of things are we tempted to trust in? And I think perhaps for us as Christians, then um, I think perhaps for us, it might be something like our good works, our sort of religiousness. You know, you think, well, I, I trust in the fact that I prayed earlier today or read the Bible. I trust in the fact that I helped do this X, Y, or Z at church. Or, you know, I did all of these. I think for, for someone who, who preaches, you know, it's, it's a, that's a big temptation. Oh God, I preached all these sermons. That must make me a good person, surely. But it doesn't work like that. Actually, we need to trust in Jesus as our saviour. What about people, who, uh, what kind of things are people trusting in society? And perhaps this might affect us as well. You know, perhaps trusting in the government, you know, to save us. And um, I was thinking about this, you know, with the, the G20 and thinking how, I think one of the headlines from that was, they were saying, we can do the impossible. And, uh, you know, I just read, I just read actually just this morning from Genesis, the, the part where um, the, the Lord says to Abraham, you know, um, uh, what does he say? Nothing is impossible for the Lord, but only the Lord and not the government. And so what, you know, what are we trusting in? What are people trusting in? Perhaps trusting in money or savings, you know, thinking, well, we've got the, the cost of living crisis, but it's OK. I've got money in the bank. You know, I'll, I'll get through this. You know, trusting in our trusting in our um, the money that we have or in our family, you know, thinking, well, there's a crisis there. Um, you know, people are lonely, but I've got my family. I'm all right. Perhaps people are thinking in that. God will expose those idols. And Christmas is a time when we need to trust in Jesus and we need to look to him rather than things which are created or rather than, than other things. 
And, uh, and that's something which I hope that we can do over this coming few weeks, is think about who we're really trusting in and say, you know, Lord, I want to put my trust in Jesus. He is the only saviour. He's the only one worth trusting. And it's a wonderful thing that he's drawn near Emmanuel to us at, at Christmas time as we celebrate that, you know, the Lord has drawn near. And so we don't have to flee from him. We can draw near to him, but only through Jesus Christ. So let's be trusting in him. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we are sorry for the, the, the many times when we uh, have trusted and we do trust in things other than you, other than in Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to put our trust in you completely and to be able to uh, trust you as our saviour, to draw near to you through Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would um, help uh, those of us, uh, those in, in our community, to hear and understand this message of salvation, and understand, Lord, that you cannot come uh, to Christmas without drawing near to you. And we pray that people would experience something of that, Lord, this year, and want to come um, through Jesus Christ to you, and not just um, not just be a spectator, but to come and be drawn in. We ask, Heavenly Father, that you'll be doing a wonderful work in our hearts and in the hearts of many in our community in this coming uh, few weeks. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.